This is the Constructionist Podcast, where we take ancient stories, the person of Jesus, current events and topics, and help you construct a new Christian worldview that's relevant and loving to those around you. I'm your host, Kevin Bates. I'm a semiotician and community builder looking at the signs of the times to build a better future together. tuned into the Constructionist Podcast, and tonight we are continuing our sermon series on the book of Mark. We encourage a worldview that is built on the principles of Christ. That's why we're going through this book specifically. And in this episode, we will examine the life of Christ through a clear and honest lens. So by doing so, we hope to offer insights and perspectives that will help you in your own journey towards a greater understanding of love and compassion for yourself and others. We want to assure you that in tonight's episode, just like every episode, we are not fabricating anything, as many have done around the Gospels. No information or ideas will be given without a lot of backing behind them. And if we don't know something, we're going to tell you we don't know it. If we're guessing something, we're going to tell you that it's a guess, because our goal is to provide an honest and authentic perspective on our examination. So this is our thinking space for the Constructionist Podcast. We, When we are presenting ideas and thoughts, we're making our best attempt to explain very practical thoughts and theologies to live by, and we hope that you implement some of these ideas in your life. If you enjoy the Constructionist Podcast and want to support us financially, please follow the link in the chat or show notes on the social media platform you're listening to and visit our Give page. You can also support us through our Patreon page at The Constructionist. Go to patreon.com and type in The Constructionist for the, the artist and you will see our page pop up. Your support will enable us to continue producing high quality content like this. But even more, we want to hear from you, engage with you. We believe that through our interactions and discussions with listeners like you, we can continue to learn and grow together. We value your feedback. We value your questions. We value your ideas, and we're excited to build a community around a shared exploration of what we call a communal hermeneutic. So please don't hesitate to reach out. We do preview all questions before they're posted. So let us know what you think. Ask your question. We'll preview that. And um, if we can do it in real time, we'll do it in real time. If you do it throughout the week or whenever you listen to this, um, it will pop up on our messaging social media channels and we will answer your questions. So thank you, Sherea and Jake, for joining us. We are in Mark 10 starting in verse 32. So we're going to jump in, or is it verse 30? Yeah, verse 32, we're gonna jump in and we're gonna start if you uh, don't have any pre-thoughts or notes to chime in on. Doing good for now, thank you. Nope, okay, let's jump let's in. Let's do it. Because it's taken us this long, many, many what? weeks. What week is this for us? I don't know. We were supposed to do this in like six weeks. Right. And I think we're, we're on a good 10 right now, I feel like. Uh-huh. Mark 32. All right, let's do Sorry, it. Jake, why don't you read that? Jesus and his disciples were on the road going up to Jerusalem with Jesus in the lead. The disciples were amazed while the others following behind were afraid. 
Taking the twelve aside again, he told them what was about to happen to him. Look. I think we lost Jake there, or maybe you lost me. Trey? I think so. <laughs> look, I'm still here. Look. <laughs> yes, we haven't heard anything you're saying. I think you're muted, Jake. Go ahead and pop that slide back up. I'll start reading. It there stopped at look. Look, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem. The human one uh, will be handed over to the chief priests and the legal experts. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles. They will ridicule him, spit on him, torture him, and kill him. After three days, he will rise up. James and John, Zebedee's sons, came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They said, Allow one of us to sit on your right and the other on your left when you enter your glory. Jesus replied, You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or receive the baptism I receive? We can, they answered. Let's do that next slide. Jesus said, you will drink the cup I drink and receive the baptism I receive. But to sit at my right hand and my left hand isn't mine to give. It belongs to those for whom it has been prepared. Now when the other ten disciples heard about this, they became angry with James and John. Jesus called them over and said, you know that the ones who are considered the rulers of the Gentiles show off their authority over them and their high-ranking officials order them around. But that's not the way it will be with you. Whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you will be the slave to all. For the human one didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life to liberate many people. All right, let's stop there. Jake, do we have you back? I'm not sure. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay. All right. Well, let's just kind of explicate that out a little bit, tease it. So, can I sit on your right well, I side? Can point I sit something on your out left real quick side? if I could. What'd Go you say? Um, I want to point something out. Um, remember Please. how, so if you're looking at this in your Bible, um, you'll have headings. Um, and at least in my Bible, there's two different sections. Um, the first section is verses 32 through 34. The next section starts at verse 35. Um, and so I noticed when Jake put the slides or when Rob put the slides up there, um, that these are treated like they're all part of the same thing. Right. Which is how the text was originally written. The, the headings are not original to the text. And I think this is a really great example of how the heading can um, sometimes distract you from what's going on in the text because those two sections really need to be together. Otherwise, Jesus is just randomly talking about his death and the disciples are randomly talking about who's in charge, but the connection between those two things is really important. So give us the connection. I mean, I think that the connection is is near the end where Jesus says, you think you can drink from the cup I drink from? Mm. Um, 
and I mean, we kind of, because we know the ending, at least if we were raised in church, we kind of gloss over that, but Jesus is making a pretty profound statement to his disciples and they're not getting it. And they don't understand how much sacrifice Jesus is willing to go through. Um, and they oh, think they're totally the... fine doing the same thing. You can't handle the truth. That's Jeff yeah. Nicholson's. Yeah. What, uh, <laughs> what were the cups in the Passover? Cup of blessing, mm. cup of. One of them is redemption. Yeah. Yeah. One of them is celebration, right? One of them is blessing. Mm -hmm. What else? There's four, right? Okay, let's see. Mm -hmm. Sanctification. Deliverance. Sanctification, yeah. Redemption. And what's the mm -hmm. fourth one? Is it celebration? I'm not sure. So, I mean, we're also going into the Jerusalem scene where they're walking in the mm -hmm. Passover, right? Right. Right. And so it, it would be, it, it wouldn't, it would be easy to, to make that connection between what cup is Jesus drinking from and what, mm. and what cup will his disciples drink from? Like we see it as, as the same, the same torture, the same treatment as Jesus. Um, I'm trying to remember because there's a, there's a part in the, the Passover Seder where the bread's broken, dipped, and passed out, right? And that's what yeah. Jesus does. Yeah. But I forget which cup yes. that is. Cup of redemption. Is it redemption? I think so. And so, do you think that drinking from the same cup that I drink is that in connection with just? Or is that is that also is that also with the, the Passover meal? Oh, do you think that that is tied to the Passover meal, like metaphorically? Yeah. Mm, I mean, let this cup pass from me seems like language of the day, and you can't handle this cup. <laughs> Little Jack Nicholson esque cup, Ness. Um. I think that that must be a, what do you call that? A, a metaphor or a illusion, illusion to something else. And wouldn't that be just considered death or, or ultimate death? Yeah. But That's I don't know. Can you drink the cup I drink and receive the baptism I I baptize with? So kind Jesus says that he's going to baptize with fire, mm -hmm. right? And Pretty so dark. dark. Yeah, there's a lot of dark there. So we have we have allusions to other things. I think though you could you could make the claim that they are going to drink from the same cup because if we're using that pass Passover metaphor, like Jesus passes the wine and the bread. Mm -hmm. um, so I think once we get to that scene, maybe we are looking back to this passage 
where Jesus is giving allusion to his death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So now we have power jockeying too. We should talk about right. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I mean, this is so Jesus alludes to his death, um, to the disciples, and if we, if we, keep, uh, the scripture like Shreya said, just synonymous, like one scripture after another, no, no chapter breaks or, or no titling breaks. It's just one thought after the other, and the. The first thought could be connected to the second thought. Um, it seems really quite ludicrous that he just explained or there was an explanation of his death. And then now we go into a power play, power jockeying scene. Trey, do you think that the, that that first scripture is connected to that? just to ask the question about what you introduced us to is that first passage connected to this passage or could this, these be two independent do that. I'm going to use an old term, two independent pericopes. <laughs> Sections of text. Um, you mean, is Jesus talking about his death different from like a different section from the disciples jockeying for power. Well, it I, just seems. I don't like think so. Just, you don't think so? I mean, it just seems like I, that... I think it belongs together. Well, okay, so here I I I think it belongs am... together. Well, let's say let's say I it's ironic. I I'm I'm dying right. Is this the irony or is this like, is this the crazy talk? So let's say I'm dying and I'm explaining to you how I'm going to die. And then the two of you say, oh, by the way, can I get your books? Can I get your books? <laughs> can I, can I like, can I have your bike? You know, like who gets the motorcycle? So like, I, I just feel like it's a little bit that way. Like Jesus is saying, I'm going to be yeah. tortured and, oh, can I get that? Like, while you're up there, can you put in a good word that I get the right side? It just seems a little crazy talk. Although I think that the gospels kind of put the disciples in a level of crazy talk yeah. that seems like, is that what we're supposed to ultimately see the irony here of like, this is a joke. These people really don't get it. I, well, I kind of think so. It's yeah. the lessons to the That's... early church. What is what is the lesson supposed to be, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the it probably is the the absurdity for jockeying of power within the church when the ultimate power that you're going to get is just death. Right. And so there's really no reason to jockey for power. Right. Well, and then you see the other disciples get really angry. So they see the ludicrousness mm -hmm. of, of it. And so I just think that there's something just really odd and ironic and weird 
in that transition to go from one like very prophetic declaration of death to you know okay by the way you know can i get the silver set um, when you when you right. die but i think i think it's more literary device than you know right historical account right right um, and i do think it's a theme throughout mark that the disciples don't understand what the messiah is here to do and so i think this still just fits within that theme of the disciples still not getting it mm -hmm. right which if i could be so bold to say in 44 and 45 i don't think that we still get it <laughs> so oh, if i no. can go off for a little bit the power jockeying that we see in the church today is unreal and it's almost like we don't understand verse 44 and 45 where we have this view that we are supremely elite that we are right that we have all the answers and the truth the only truth can only come from us so that's why anything that is first anything that is seemingly outside of the bible like, for example, psychology, biology, um, science, what, whatever, that the, these disciplines that stand not against the Bible, but kind of are outside of what the literary biblical text even says, those are seen as anti. Those are seen as anti because, um, well, of course, those can't be, uh, we hold the truth. So, therefore, that truth, if I can't find that truth in these other disciplines, they must be from Satan. So we definitely point our finger at other things. So there's many pastors, um, leaders, speakers, authors. Um, I even read a very like handful of years ago, five years ago, a book that said, if you suffer from depression, God can heal you. Just come off your antidepressants. And I just sat there and I was just shocked that this author would actually give a prescriptive psychological prescriptive advice about somebody's diagnosed or seemingly diagnosed whatever whatever diagnosis they received but prescribed medication that a pastor would actually do that so it's because that pastor believes that they hold the only truth and this psychological science over here doesn't hold the truth so so that's one problem we are first and if it doesn't filter through our first then it has to be wrong uh, another idea like when it comes to like biology or science is somebody that's old earth versus new earth well of course if you're old earth then the bible is totally a lie to you there's the gospels breakdown and Jesus is no longer the savior because you might hold to an evolutionary uh, creative or evolutionary uh, uh, science of the earth. So, so why? Because we take a literary literal form of Genesis one, two, and three versus a narrative poetic form of one, two, and three Genesis. So, 
we hold the truth. That's one of the problems with evangelicalism. It's one of the problems that we have that no one else can have the truth except us. And I was just asked, um, I'm going to get real, I'm going to step way out on a limb here. I was just asked about uh, whether or not I believe that the only way to heaven is through Christ and Christ alone. And I would say the Bible teaches that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's very few scriptures that talk about what must I do to enter eternal life? There's a lot more scriptures about the kingdom of God is here. So John the Baptist said the kingdom of God is near, right? Mm -hmm. And Jesus, on its way, yeah, yeah. Jesus said the kingdom of God basically is here. Like I am that this founding person of this kingdom. Now I know the kingdom language is very patriarchal and very, um, I don't know, it's kind of passe. But <clears throat> but if you think about if you think about now, the kingdom is here. The kingdom of God is here. Uh, Paul is very difficult to not accuse Paul of being a universalist. It is almost impossible to see Paul not as a universalist because of what he's talking about. Basically, Paul, all through the book of Romans, the biggest theological book of all time, right, is a universalist in that book. But then I have on, these other depends on which lens you're reading it through because you, you, oh, you can read you can you read can it through all, all, as, as a all complete... five point lenses. You can read it. You can read it upside down and backwards, sideways and, you know, through your rose colored glasses. And you still come out with these kids like hmm, that, mm, there's there's some universalist illusions all over that place. So. But there's other scriptures that say that to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. <laughs> so I, what I believe when the a question, how do I respond to that is I responded this way, that I believe that there will be a whole hell of a lot more people in heaven than we even want to think about and believe are going there. Um, and I hope that when I say the only way to heaven is through Christ, I hope I'm very wrong. I hope that many, many people uh, go to heaven. But when I believe that I am the only way, uh, and that is what I focus on, not the way. See, there's a difference between saying Jesus is the way versus Jesus is the only way so most of scripture talks about jesus and feet on the ground type of ministry bringing jesus to earth and carrying out the principles values of christ on earth um that old saying where it says in the sermon on the mount jesus gave us everything to do and by the nicene creed excuse me, Jesus did everything, told us uh, everything to do and nothing to believe. But in the Nicene Creed, it said everything to believe, but nothing to do. 
So Jesus was very feet on the ground type of behavior, feet on the ground type of ministry and gave us the way. And I think more importantly, just like just like this passage of scripture between James and John, do I get a piece of the action when I go up to heaven? Am I am I important up there? Do I get to get into the pearly gates? Jesus is like, you know what? Don't think about that. Think about what's going on right now. Heaven will take care of itself. You talk, you talk to and love your neighbor now. So I think there's there's some allusion to that. And in our modern day, the only thing a lot of Christians are really concerned about is where do I go after I die? And I would say, well, you, a lot of us as Christians are dead now. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, why don't we be alive now? And Christianity is more about bringing life to earth versus blowing off the earth and going to some cloudy place in the universe and playing our harps and our diapers. And so this whole idea of whoever wants to be glorified um, needs to take a, a last seat because the first will be last and the last will be first. I don't know. What do you think of all that? I just kind of spouted off and brought up about five different controversial topics in two minutes. Well, let's talk about the first one. What was the, uh, Jesus, the only way to heaven. You kind of talked about that. Yeah. So I think I have, I, the question I ask a lot is why do we want to believe that people are going to hell? It's a choice to believe in hell. It's a choice to, mm-hmm. to put people there. Right. It's, it's also a choice to believe that Jesus was God. Yeah. And so even from scripture, like it is, um, the new Testament is not clear whether or not Jesus was God or not. You could read it in lots of different ways. And so is Jesus the only way? And so the, the idea is a lived life, the lived experience. Mm. And this is what this entire text is about is the, is the lived experience of, mm-hmm. of living a, a life that is open. Right. Well, in response to that, it says that Jesus is the way. Um, I wish that we would spend all of our time trying to imagine in our brains how to get people to heaven. Like spend all of our time trying to just be imaginative of how do they slip through this crack and how do they how do they make it into because I think if we would enter into culture and life uh, that way, that we have this imaginative experience that this person can be included in. too, and these people can be included too. If we would enter into life that way, I think that they would actually possibly believe in this Christ in which we preach. But because we spend most of our cognitive thought making sure that we are this elite class of people that we're the ones that hold the truth 
and we spend all of our time refining and refining and galvanizing that truth to make sure that you know those have very crystal clear edges on them of those that are in and those that are out i think that's why people are looking at us going what is your deal what happened to the love of christ so it's pride month and um there was a a, a a friend kind of a business friend of mine that posted something on a social media channel about pride month he is a identified lgbtqia plus person and the amount of hate from christians underneath that social media post was absolutely unbelievably and believable at the same time appalling I mean, you're talking about there were there were some comments by christian people that were just calling for death calling for like murder um and i just i couldn't believe it like are you kidding me like why would we be uh, so like hateful why do we feel so threatened and hateful towards a group of people? Um, and of course, all the comments and stuff that you see um, all over or that are being said to you in conversation about a people group, whether that be, um, you know, some other people group that celebrate another month or another day or another week of our year and how Christians respond to that, that we're not the most important. And I think that that's what a lot of it is, is we all of a sudden feel like we're not the most important and our truth is not the most understood. And so we're gonna attack people um, with our sword of what we think is the spirit. Yet it's, I don't, I don't hear murder and hate in, the fruit of the spirit that's nowhere in the fruit of the spirit so i'm really struggling with that right now of how much anger and hate and disdain christians have um towards other people it's unbelievable right now it's a power play it's a power jockeying play that we think that some people think they're winning but just look at the stats the evangelical numbers look at the Southern Baptist numbers, look at the, look at the Christian church numbers, Church of Christ numbers, look at the, the, um, the main lines, look at those numbers and you tell me if we're actually winning. No, so no, we're not. No, no. Well, I have a question about this blind person. This is the, uh, this is the blind person, this miracle in 1046 plus is Are only... the next section? Is that... I feel like yeah, yeah. the next section, right? This next section... I guess so. Yeah. We need, we need to read Do you want to read right? it first or you want to ask your question well, first? I just want to ask the question because it's a general question about miracles, right? And my question about miracles is this. <clears throat> the Gospels were all written after Paul wrote his stuff. And nowhere in Paul's writings really does it talk about and explain and kind of reference miracles. So I'm 
I'm a little bit baffled by why there are so many miracles in the Gospels. Where are they coming from? And actually, what do they mean? Because we know that some things are devices, literary devices, like Sheree alluded to. Some things are just to show, like, illustrations, metaphors, or bigger realities. And so, so I, I'm just wondering, uh, when it comes to this, healing of the son of Timaeus what does what do miracles mean in the gospel gospels because they are not located in Paul's writings well you could you could make the case that some will be healers some will be teachers preachers evangelists mm -hmm. apostles right okay. but there's no like idea of healing um I think, I think the entire purpose of miracles is to, is to present Jesus in a Hellenistic world as a demigod. Okay. That was above, was above spirits, was above the natural order of things. Mm hmm. And so, I, th I think it's definitely a literary device of trying to make sense of Jesus's power. Um, well, do you think that the the miracle uh, motifs were added later? Like to what do you mean? What do you mean added later? Well, we know that the gospels, like if you think about the Q gospel, like the beginning gospel, right? There were lots of writings and oral traditions floating around, um, and you can see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that they borrowed or took from each other. And they also used something else. So you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but then you have this idea that there's something else that all three of them or two of them took from. And they call that in German, it's the, it's the first gospel or the Q gospel. And so, so we know that in the first century, everybody believed in miracles right? From the gods and the demigods. And, and it's actually very, um, I would say it's very, uh, does, alludes to paganism. So... Does Paul reference his own healing on the road to Damascus anywhere? I mean, that's, that's, it's a story in, oh, you mean written by Luke? Yeah. Does Paul reference it? Mm, I would have to look that up. I think so. I think there is a reference somewhere that maybe he said he was on the road. Does Paul reference what? Reference, does Paul reference his healing? Does Paul reference his healing? Oh. When he was trying to prove that he was an apostle and saying that he was apostle, an apostle and he saw right. Christ or he was the witness of christ does it reference his well he went out to the desert yeah. and spent 40 days with jesus is that right? second corinthians well i think that that's a major major um debate about miracles in the bible and whether or not those miracles were actually miracles or were they bigger lesson life lesson stories that meant something else 
because uh, they're not referenced before the Gospels were written. Yeah, and, and you you look at Paul's life, and I can't. Did he heal anybody? Hmm, I'd have to look that up. Um, there's the dude who so. fell out the window because Paul was talking too long. <laughs> yeah, Eutychus is his name. Eutychus. That you happens in Acts, too, if though, you fell it? out the window. So it's it's once again told by Luke. Yeah. Yeah. So does Paul reference miracles or healing anywhere? And not to demystify, I think, the idea of, of healing. Well, I want to bring it up because it's an actual like we it's but, an actual like bone of contention with what I critics. struggle with most about the healing narratives is it's almost like this quid pro quo mm -hmm. that first you believe and then we'll heal. That's why I'm wondering if it's a literary mm. device and more that the, the, I'm not saying that the miracles didn't happen, but were they added as a literary device that Paul didn't see as necessary? <clears throat> like were the miracles were the miracles ever talked about in the churches? I mean, they weren't talked about in the letters. Well, I mean, obviously they were talked about in the churches because all four gospels include them, right? Or they were added later. I I don't know. I don't. I I don't. I know it's going to be super least... controversial. I just wanted to bring it up because I think that there's certain people. And, and maybe people that are seeking faith that they don't necessarily buy into the whole miracle idea. And, and that's why we try to naturalize the miracles. So we say, oh, well, well, there, you know, there were a diagnosis for that. That's like a, that's like a reference to somebody that's sick or, somebody that has a disease that needs cured or mentally ill. And, and so we try to naturalize the miracles uh, a little bit more. Um, I think that Shreya's point early on in our discussion of the book of Mark is that the idea of miracles takes somebody from the outside and puts them back into community or helps the marginalized enter back into um, functionality within society. So I think that's a really good response um, to naturalize a miracle. I don't necessarily buy that uh, necessarily when somebody's demon possessed and that means that they, you know, are, you know, have, you know, a psychosis of some kind um, or what have you. So, so I think that that's, that's a little stretch for me uh, because if God is willing to, and here's the big question, you know, if God is willing to intervene there, then why didn't he intervene in something bigger like the Holocaust or, or some natural disaster like the, the Thailand tsunami? I mean, why didn't, why didn't like God intervene then if he's willing to intervene with somebody sick on the road? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a hard one, and um, some theologians have the idea that okay, so God 
you have you have two I really think schools of thoughts when when you go into how much does God intervene either God has the playbook and is running everything according to God's plan or it's a what's called a theology or um, provocation or God can be provoked to act I guess and there's a third that God is hands off now God mm -hmm. right God said things in the motion and took a step back right self-limitation yeah the idea with mm -hmm. provocation and and God has the playbook is that at what level is God provoked enough to act mm. and so I don't, I don't think in we don't see it often in these major ways that, that God intervened in human history, be it the horrors of Holocaust or genocide or apartheid or, 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 but the, both of those, the, the provocation and the, the God is in total control. Shows God more as, as maniacal than, than loving. But then the third option What's the third option? I think we lost your voice again. Well, okay. Can I throw this the out? Third here? option. Sorry. Okay, there we go. go third back. option. He's Thank back. You. So the third option is is sorry I had to fix my audio again. The third option of God just letting things loose and go. It doesn't put God in a good light on like any of them, right? Or even self limiting. Like, how do you explain the horrors of the world with a God that has the choice to intervene and not? Well, again, if I, if we go back to the first controversial, um, rambling and we say the life of Christ is much more about the lived experience. See if I can articulate this without mushing it all up. So the life of Christ is about the lived experience and what people experienced on earth and what people need to experience on earth with Christ. It's not about the eternal glory. Do I get a, you know, do I get a front row seat at the ball game? So, so, and I would say that, that conversation between James and John and Jesus kind of solidifies that, that, that Jesus is not focused about eternity. He's focused on a lived experience, the here and now. So that means that if we were going to do some writing, right, about a lived experience with Christ, and I want to explain to you in writing or in oral tradition, I want to explain to you the magnificence of what I'm experiencing with Christ. Right? Could the miracle motif be a way that people with limited vocabulary knowledge, limited understanding about how the world worked, would 
a miracle motif be a way to explain the magnificence of Christ in such a way that people would be in awe and enthralled with the lived experience. What they were experiencing was, in a sense, miraculous. It was like the scales of leprosy fell off my skin. It was like I couldn't walk. And he said, pick up your mat and follow me. And all of a sudden I walked. I mean, could it be? I know this is incredibly deconstructing the idea of, of actual miracles, but could it be a way, could there be an illusion to a way to see a miracle as people with limited vocabulary and experience and how the world worked, being able to express the magnificence of Christ and this is their way to do it. Yeah, I mean, the readers and the writers lived in a world, I think we said this one time, where they didn't know where the sun went at night. And so, how they addressed the world had to be the supernatural, not right. the not the empirical. Okay. So, yeah. Well, in so if you have old world like Moses and Elijah and Isaiah, like some of the old world people, I mean, you're talking like, let's go back to Moses. Okay. I mean, you're talking, you know, bugs and blood and boils. You're talking, you know, mass, like incredibly like huge acts of God, splitting of seas. Um, I mean, you're just talking like, like pillars of, of water and fire, you know, like you're, you're just talking like just a bigness of God. And if Jesus is the new Moses or the new Elijah or the new Isaiah or the new, David or I mean isn't in this mirror wait a minute I gotta look up this mirror son of David show me mercy hmm oh that just kind of proves my point so so if this is like if Jesus is the son of David there has to be some like there has to be some like oomph behind that there has to be some red seas there has to be some pillars of fire and water there has to be some you know, bugs and boils and blood in the water. I mean, there just has to be some magnificence there that, you know, maybe it's a literary device. Sure. I'm just guessing there. But I just think that, that people struggle with miracles so much that it's like, why don't they happen today? And then you got my Pentecostal friends that say they do. And I go, where? <laughs> Show me. <laughs> And then they they don't. <laughs> so. I think of the illusion to Moses and the supernatural events that happened there. Mm -hmm. the, from when they were pinned to when they supposedly happened was almost a thousand years. 
So if, if we believe that the Torah was written in exile in 586 to what, 400-ish, um, and Moses lived about 1500 BCE, then you okay. get a thousand years. Think about trying to write an oral history that's of a thousand years ago, just stories that you heard. Yeah. Let's we'll try a hundred. I can't, I mean, think about a, a hundred. We're talking, we're here. We're talking about, you know, Jesus, you know, yeah. uh, no hangs on a cross at, you know, 33 and you know, the book of John is written in the late first century. So just think about 70 years later, trying to pen something down and figure out actually what happened. John is probably in the second century. Okay, point even more. I just think that there's something to that question when we're talking about miracles, because like then another question is, okay, did the, like what you asked before is like, do miracles cause people to believe in Jesus or, or was it the, the miracle was attributed to Jesus because he was divine and people had faith and it was just attributed to him um, or vice versa. Right. I mean, are they, are they, uh, is I think that, we be... what do you call a quid pro quo? Is there a quid pro quo back and forth? But, but we also have to be careful saying that Jesus was divine, right? I think so that nowhere in the new Testament besides John really is Jesus very strongly called divine? I think a lot yeah, of that. But like, of, do you believe that John is an inspired word? I mean, is that like, does that fit I, I, the I, mold of? I mean, no. N.T. Wright wants the N.T. Wright doesn't like the Book of John, right? Isn't he quoted as saying that? Most most like most scholars will throw John out before anything else, and so. You can't base a lot on John. It's a great book. It's wonderful. I, I think our our view of inspiration needs to to lessen because I it, I, n I have a feeling I'm gonna say my audio is off, aren't you? Yeah. You can keep well, going. Well, let me let me say thing. let me say the next struggle that I have with with miracles, just taking them for miracles' sake. It's, it is a little disturbing that Jesus's miracles are very similar to like Buddha's miracles, right? So we have Jesus walks on water, Buddha walked on the river Ganges. Is that just a copy of Jesus? Is that, I mean, is that like a, a, a copy back and forth or... Or what is that? You know, Buddha like is, is that added him. later? Right. Is that who added that later? Right? I mean, are we feeding the five thousand and Buddha fed five hundred? Jesus fed five thousand without supplies and Buddha fed five hundred without supplies. So there is a an Egyptian god that both Buddha 
and Jesus match. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so you're 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 bringing up the, even the bigger struggle, you know, where like, okay, so we have Buddha and Jesus. Jesus healed sick, like with the touch of a cloak and the look of the eye, right? So now we have this illusion, like were these were these stories? I'm not saying that Jesus was not historical. I'm not saying that Jesus didn't. Uh, you know, redeem the world and is not salvation and the forgiveness of sins. What I'm saying is like, were these literary devices added later or, or in along the way Were they borrowed, Were they thought through? Um, there's just questions that I've been faced with that I wanted to bring to the table tonight yeah. that, that I have not ever been able to give a really clear answer to people that really know their stuff and have deconstructed um, Bartimaeus. Yeah, I I hear what you're saying about it, and the I, I really think that the the authors of the New Testament were just trying to make sense of what happened, and the language of the day that they had was borrowed from other texts. Mm-hmm. And so if that's the best I got, that's the best I got. So yeah, I think the say... best answer that I've ever thought of and read about is that a lot of the things in the New Testament, especially the Gospels, you know, Jesus was a magnificent, amazing Savior and Messiah. Um, and, and that needed some literary backing. And so I think that the miracles or just the stories, some of the stories of Jesus and the language used definitely uh, prop up Jesus as needed for that day. I'm not saying that, you know, Jesus wasn't who he said he was. It's just the authors propped him up because he needed propped up in that day. And I'd probably be criticized for saying that Jesus doesn't need any propping up. Well, I mean, when you're writing stuff and talking, you know, before crowds, it's people need to be convinced. But Jesus wasn't the first Messiah. He wasn't the first Messiah to, like of the time, claim Messiah right. to right. die. And so, yeah, he needed a lot of propping up. Mm-hmm. You guys talk for a while. I'm going to look something up here really quick. I feel like I talked a lot. Trey, go for it. I I would like to talk specifically about this passage and the miracle in this passage. Read it for us, because <laughs> Nobody else knows what's going on. Yeah, okay. Go ahead, p pull it up, Rob. Rob, can you put uh, 1046 up on the screen, please? Jesus and his followers came into Jericho. As Jesus was leaving Jericho, together with his disciples and a sizable crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, Timaeus' son, was sitting beside the road. When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was there, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, show me mercy. Many scolded him, telling him to be quiet, but he shouted even louder, Son of David, show me mercy. Jesus stopped and said, call him forward. They called the blind man, be encouraged, get up, he's calling you. 
Throwing his coat to the side, he jumped up and came to Jesus. Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, teacher, I want to see. Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. And at once he was able to see, and he began to follow Jesus on the way. Okay, can I clarify something that I looked up <laughs> before you start talking about this passage? Okay. So I looked up miracles and acts, and there is a list of miracles and acts. And if I said there wasn't, that's uh, not true. Um, and it's more than Eutychus, because Eutychus too, if you fell out a window, right? So, so, <laughs> um, these miracles in the Gospels are not referenced. If you take Acts as a Gospel. But it's not. It is. -ish. It is. <laughs> it is. Um, I mean, yes, like our Gospel, the good news forward, right? No, but it's part of Luke. It's Luke. Okay, yeah, I get what you're saying. I get that. But literally, biblical structure, okay? Are miracles recorded outside? And I'm, I'm not sure. That's, that's my question. Well, I, I just am saying that, that the miracles in the Gospels that happened in the first you know, the, or the three years of Jesus's ministry, those miracles are not referenced in Paul's writings. Um, and those miracles, okay, so can the book of Acts. So those miracles are not recorded specifically in Paul's writings to the churches. That's my question. Why? Why is that the case? <clears throat> Anyway, Sharia, explicate this scripture. Okay. So you know that thing where the headings don't matter and it's all one story? Yes, we're back to that. We're back to that. So our first section, the disciples don't get it. They think they get it, but they don't get it. They're just power play. And to this mural, uh, um, I think there's a reason that Jesus no. is healing someone who can't see. I think it's a literary device um, illustrating how the disciples weren't able to see who Jesus was lying. At once he was able to see and he began to follow Jesus on the way. So connecting those stories together. You think that the healing of blind Bartimaeus and the beggar is connected to the disciples not seeing. Yep. Your microphone cut so, out, and so I'm trying to like piece and then we go together. Into the... So oh, you just gotcha. full yes, circle. Yes, that's you what just, I think. You just full circled that and proved my point. I forget what point that we're proving. Uh, honestly, I'm not even sure whose point it was, so I'm going to call it my point. <laughs> well, if it's a literary device to show the reality of the disciples, and it's it's a motif of, okay, the, the Bartimaeus is the disciples. That's what you're saying, right? Mm -hmm. 
So there you yeah. go. So you just said what we had been talking about, but you used the actual scripture yeah. to show it and say it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually, that's something else right there. I mean, we could job, spend man. all the next, you know, 50 years of, well, if I lived to a hundred, 50 years of my life to talk about that, just that scripture. But that's a profound connection right there that you see that just the structure structure of those that narrative right there mm -hmm. but it gets yeah. better what because okay. we're going to the triumphal entry next and and how does it get better because we're not making it to the triumphal entry so you can't just dangle that carrot out there well we can say. always say <laughs> we're not okay and do it oh. well we're not going to be able to do it um it's too late to yeah i think i think that what we came to conclusion tonight Jesus. I think... i'm sorry sharia you're cutting out pretty bad so that's what i'm struggling with is i don't hear anything so that's... are you guys are we i i i hope that uh yeah i hope that you our... are i've yeah. had the hardest time following this conversation Oh my goodness! I'm sure you have. If you, if we're cutting out like you're cutting out, this will probably would be miserable for you. Okay. Well, let's end on that. The conclusion basically <laughs> that we came to is that the miracles of Christ possibly—I'm not saying they are or they're not—but they're possibly more of a literary device that points to bigger realities than just the miracle itself. Since they're not referenced in the Pauline writings, uh, and those writings are first, you would think that the people would remember the miracles or they would reference, remember when Bartimaeus was healed and such, uh, but they're not. So, so that brings question to why miracles? Why are they here? I'm not saying that God doesn't perform miracles. I'm just saying these miracles, why are they there? And, and to, to really think about that and to spend some time, possibly that miracle is there for a reason to point us to a reality that possibly we don't see and we need to see it. So with that, good night, everybody. Thanks for joining us. And if you want to support us, go to patreon.com and type in The Constructionists.